Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fuck's Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the Louisiana barred owl perched on the chair next to me is Ellen. I can deliver this episode to you, and we can fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 26, Seen and Unforeseen, and the corresponding film scenes that we had previously talked about because they were included way earlier in the movie. Voldemort Voldemort, which Harry harried, so Ron Rond and Hermione Hermione'd, therefore Snape Snaped. Then Trelawney Trelawney'd, Bitchmall Bitchmalled, and Dumbledore Dumbledored with an exceeding amount of Dumbledore that the movie left out. Because why wouldn't it? Yeah, and that about sums that up. Sounds right to me. During episode 165, Harry's Gonna Harry, our Potter pondering was... What are your thoughts on the changes of Trelawney's firing from book to movie and the fact that the movie left out the hiring of friends? Hey guys, it's Mike calling in with my Potter pondering about how Dumbledore dealt with Umbridge and Trelawney's firing and the hiring of friends. This is a big one for me. I am not a fan of this. Honestly, I think this is one of those, the major reasons that I hate movie Dumbledore and I especially hate second movie Dumbledore. Like... He's not great overall. He's really yelling the whole heritage, which I didn't really come to the fire thing. Like, it's, it's all mess. This part especially is a mess. Like, he took that scene with Dumbledore and just completely flipped it on his head, made him look like the biggest weakling, and just so defeated and distracted and angry at the students and just everything that Dumbledore is never. Like, super obvious that that actor never read the books. And just, oh my God, just hate, 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 hate. And the fact that he topped it all off by hiring a centaur just to like rub Umbridge's nose in it, it's just quintessential Dumbledore. And they completely screwed him up. Oh, again, this is why I hate movie Dumbledore. I'm sure I have more, but I'm overcome. Anyway, that's it for me. Bye. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. How do I feel about them fucking up the firing of Trelawney and not even telling us who the next teacher was, albeit friends? Yeah, you know, we could just go on and on about how they fuck shit up here. I agree with you guys that the main point was not letting Dumbledore dumble, not letting him be Petty Miss Prime. Like, come on now, that was a cool slide-in petty setup that would have been nice. They made Umbridge look just aggravating. Like, she was tolerable, just get on your nerves. Cute with the cat lady ass. Like, make it make sense. In the movie, you don't even really hate Umbridge until she slaps the shit out of Harry in the end. Come on now, come on. But it is what it is. They couldn't afford to CGI an actual centaur. For more than a five seconds that they were showed at the end of the film. But hey, it's whatever. I do kind of feel some type of way about it being outside and not in a great hall. But trust, that's the least of the worries, okay? We don't let the characters be who they are. That's why nobody has any real, you know, affection or distaste for the right characters if you only watch the movies. Because you get a basic blanket information about everybody except the Golden Trio. And that fucking sucks. Hey guys, Jackson here with my Potter Pondering. So I'll start off with the firing of Trelawney. There were parts I liked about the movie version of this, and parts I didn't. So this one won't be all rant. (laughs) So the movie did some parts of the firing of Trelawney really well. Her being humiliated by Umbridge. I mean, Imelda Staunton brought that bitchiness to life. She did a great job. And Emma Thompson was incredible as always as Trelawney. The begging, the crying, and yeah, as again, the humiliation brought on by um, bitch. <laughs> yeah, and the parts I didn't like about it were, as mentioned in the last episode, her owning Dumbledore. 
That's not how it went in the book. If they just reversed it and made it so he owned her, what he did in the book, it would have been much more well done. Much more well done. Now on to the hiring of friends. Why were we not shown this? Once again, we were robbed of Imelda Staunton showing Umbridge's anger being done by Dumbledore. You know? Oh, we were built on this. And I wanted to see Ferenz again. I wanted to see Ferenz. Exactly. Same with my Potter pondering. So this is one subject that I've always really kind of irked me because I really felt like the book made it more of a spectacle when Trelawney was fired. So like the movie did okay, like making it seem like, you know, with all the school being there and surrounding her, but I liked in the book how they made it feel like Umbridge was kind of looking down on her, almost like stalking her and it was more aggressive and manipulative and just it made that, it kind of set that scene for how terrible Umbridge was. <laughs> But I think it was so cool because I loved when Dumbledore says, oh, I don't think there'll be a problem for that. When Umbridge says, you know, if she stays here, the new teacher is going to need her lodging. He's like, I don't think there'll be a problem for that. And friends comes in the castle and everybody freaks out. I thought that part would have been such a cool addition. And just like how he converts his classroom to, to like the forest setting, how when everybody walks in and they feel like they're in the forest, I just think that was, was such a missed aspect that could have really added a lot of character building to both Umbridge and, and friends. So, yeah, that's my Thanks. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Megan calling in with my Potter pondering. So in the movie scene where Trelawney gets fired, obviously they shortened it a lot, which I understand. Um, some of the details that were left out aren't the end of the world to me, like the fact that Trelawney was a little bit more sad rather than hysterical. That didn't really change it too much for me, but definitely the details with Dumbledore, that was the major change that I hated because in the book, Dumbledore outsmarted and one-upped Umbridge, whereas in the movie, it was a bit of a stalemate you know, when she says, oh, for now, and then he just sort of looks annoyed and yells at the kids to go do their studying. So I definitely preferred that in the book. And I also really loved how we were able to meet Ferenzi. It was such a dramatic scene in the book, and it was just such a great F.U. to Umbridge. So I just thought the Dumbledore, Dumbledore, so, so great right there. So yeah, those are my thoughts. Thanks. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was... What is Harry teaching the DA when Seamus comes to his first meeting? Harry is teaching the DA members how to produce Patronuses. P uh, Patroni? Pat Patroniuses? <laughs> Patronius? Patroniums? Patronuses. Patronuses, indeed. <laughs> Congratulations goes to Mike Riley. So for some reason, Podbean never auto-posted the episode to Facebook like it has literally 164 times before without any issues. It had to happen eventually? Did it, though? I mean, Mike won, so I don't think that he's complaining. No, I don't think he is either. <laughs> it was just some sort of weird glitch, and I ended up having to manually post the episode once I realized that, but Mike was ready. He was. So no streak for Megan, mm -mm. but maybe Mike will be starting one. We shall see. For now, let's dive into the first half of chapter 27, the centaur and the sneak, and the corresponding, though abbreviated, film scenes. Chapter 27, The Centaur and the Sneak, Part 1 During breakfast a few days after Trelawney was sacked, Parvati tells Hermione that she bets she wishes she hadn't given up divination now. Hermione indifferently tells her that she doesn't really like horses, and Lavender scolds her that he isn't a horse, he's a centaur. Hermione coolly points out that either way he still has four legs, and then asks the girls about how she thought they were upset that Trelawney had gone. Lavender insists that they are, mentioning that they took her some nice daffodils, and Harry asks them how she's doing. Lavender sympathetically says that she isn't doing very well, crying and insisting that she would rather leave the castle forever than stay if Umbridge is still there. 
She adds on that she doesn't blame her since Umbridge was horrible to her. And Hermione darkly comments that she thinks Umbridge has just started being horrible. Ron thinks this is impossible, saying she can't get any worse. But Hermione is sure that she's going to want revenge on Dumbledore for appointing a new teacher without consulting her, especially a part human. After breakfast, Hermione heads to arithmancy, and Harry and Ron follow Parvati and Lavender towards Classroom 11 on the ground floor, right off the entrance hall, since Ferenz wouldn't be able to climb the ladder to the North Tower. The classroom had previously been mostly unused and had a slightly neglected feeling of a cupboard or storeroom, so Harry and Ron are both surprised to enter the room and find themselves in the middle of a forest clearing, with moss, trees, and branches everywhere. Ferenz is standing in the middle of the clearing and holds out his hand to shake as he greets Harry by his full name. Harry shakes his hand and awkwardly tells him it's good to see him. Ferenz agrees and tells him that it was foretold they would meet again. Harry notices a shadow of a hoof-shaped bruise on his chest, but is distracted when he realizes the rest of the class is looking at him in awe that he's on speaking terms with the centaur. Once everyone is settled in the classroom clearing and the door is closed, Ferenz starts class letting them all know that Dumbledore arranged the classroom for them since he is not able to teach them in the Forbidden Forest as he would prefer. Parvati raises her hand to tell him that they aren't frightened and have been there with Hagrid, but Ferenz explains that it's not a question of their bravery, but rather that he had been banished from the forest by his herd. Lavender is initially confused by the word herd, but then realizes there are more centaurs in the forest. This prompts Dean to ask if Hagrid bred him like the Thestrals, and the look on Ferenz's face is enough to tell them all that he said something offensive. Dean immediately apologizes, and Parvati raises her hand to inquire why the other centaurs banished him. Ferenz explains that his kind see working for humans as kind of a betrayal, and Harry remembers the way Bane shouted at him, calling him a common mule for letting Harry ride to safety on his back and wonders if Bane is the one who kicked him in the chest. Ferenz then starts class, raising his hand to lower the leafy canopy, which dims the lights to look like twilight. He instructs the class to lie on the floor and observe the heavens, where the fortunes of their races can be seen. Harry stretches back and looks up towards the ceiling, seeing a red twinkling star. Ferenz begins to speak about their previous instruction of the names of planets and moons in astronomy and mapping the star's progress through the heavens. But before he continue talking about how the centaurs have unraveled those mysteries, Parvati excitedly raises her hand to bring up doing astrology with Professor Trelawney. When she begins talking about Mars causing accidents and burns and such, Ferenz interrupts her back to call it all human nonsense. As Parvati's hand falls back to her side, Ferenz explains that trivial hurts and accidents aren't significant enough to be affected by planetary movements. Parvati tries to defend what Trelawney taught them, and in response, Ferenz just points out that she is human and therefore limited. Several people, including Parvati, look offended by this claim, but Ferenz just continues his lesson, saying that Professor Trelawney may have seen, but that she wastes her time in fortune-telling. He plans to impart the wisdom of the centaurs, which is impersonal and impartial and may take years for them to even understand what they are seeing in the skies. He points to the red star above Harry and tells them that the past decade has been giving indications that wizard kind is currently in a brief calm between two wars. Mars, which is the bringer of battle, shines brightly above them, which suggests the fight must break out again soon. The centaurs are attempting to figure out how soon by burning herbs and leaves and observing the fumes and flames. They continue into the most unusual lesson Harry has ever had, where they burn sage and mallow sweet and look for shapes, though not one of them could see anything Ferenz described. Regardless, their new teacher doesn't seem the least bit concerned and focuses more on making sure they understand that nothing is foolproof rather than specifically teaching them what he knows. Ron quietly comments on how Ferenz isn't very definite on anything and says he could really do with a few more details about the war they're about to have. They are then startled by the bell ringing, since it felt so much like they were actually out in the forest that they forgot they were still in the castle. 
As everyone files out, Ferenz requests a word with Harry Potter, but also permits Ron to stay and asks him to close the door. The centaur brings up Harry's friendship with Hagrid and asks him to pass along the warning that his attempt is not working and he would do better to abandon it. Harry blankly parrots the first half, and Ferenz repeats the second before explaining that he would give him the warning himself, but doesn't think it would be wise to go too near the forest at this point. Harry nervously asks what Hagrid has been attempting to do, but Ferenz refuses to betray his secret since he respects him for the care he shows all living creatures. He just tells Harry that Hagrid needs to be brought to his senses and the attempt is not working, before wishing him a good day. The happiness from the aftermath of the Quibbler interview has long since vanished, and as March blurs into April, Harry's life seems to be one long series of worries and problems again. Umbridge is still attending every Care of Magical Creatures lessons, which makes it really difficult to pass Ferenz's message along to Hagrid. He finally manages one day by pretending he forgot his Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them book and doubling back to class. Hagrid calls Ferenz a nice bloke, but also says that he doesn't know what he's talking about because the attempt is coming on fine. Harry asks him what he's up to, warning him to be careful because of Umbridge, but Hagrid isn't too concerned, stating that there are things more important than keeping a job. He tells Harry not to worry about him and sends him along, leaving Harry with no choice but to leave and feeling very dispirited. On top of this, OWLs are drawing closer, and the fifth years are stressing out, Hannah Abbott becoming the first one to receive a calming draft from Madame Pomfrey after bursting into sobs over being too stupid to take exams. The DA lessons are the only thing keeping Harry from being extremely unhappy, because even though it's hard work, he's really proud of everything the members have been achieving. Everyone is very excited that they have started working on Patronuses, even though Harry keeps reminding them that they are much easier to produce in a brightly lit classroom than under the threat of something like a Dementor. Cho tells him not to be such a killjoy as she watches her silvery swan soar around the room of requirement. She also calls them pretty, and Harry patiently reminds her that they aren't supposed to be pretty, they're supposed to protect them. He wishes they could get a Bogart or something, mentioning how he had to learn how to produce a Patronus while the Bogart was pretending to be a Dementor. Lavender thinks that would be really scary, but then complains that she still can't do it, when all she can do is shoot some silvery vapor from her wand. Neville is also struggling, so Harry reminds him to think of something happy, and Neville miserably insists that he's trying. Seamus decided to come to the DA meetings for the first time and yells to Harry that he thinks he's doing it, though it vanishes before Harry can see it. Hermione produces a shining silver otter and fondly expresses that they are sort of nice. All of the excitement of the lessons come to an abrupt halt when the door to the room of requirement opens and closes. Harry looks around and doesn't see anyone, but then realizes that everyone near the door has fallen silent. Then, something starts tugging at his robes near his knee, and he looks down to see a terror-stricken Dobby wearing his usual stack of hats. More members of the DA fall silent when Dobby squeaks out that he's there to warn him, though the house elves were warned not to tell. He runs headfirst at the wall, and though Harry tries to grab him, the elf merely bounces off the wall, cushioned by his many hats. Harry asks Dobby what happened, grabbing him by the arm to keep him away from things he could hurt himself with. Dobby only manages to stutter out Harry's name and she, she, before he hits himself in the nose with his free fist. Harry grabs that too and asks Dobby who she is, though he is sure that the only she that could instill this much fear must be Umbridge. He asks Dobby, horrified, and the elf nods before trying to bang his head on Harry's knees. Harry asks if she found out about the DA and can tell by the look on Dobby's face that she has. The elf tries to kick himself and falls to the floor. Harry asks if she's coming, and as he beats his bare feet against the ground, Dobby manages to howl out a yes in response. Harry straightens up and tells everyone to run, and they all begin to sprint out the door and through the corridors. Hermione yells for Harry to come on, and he scoops up Dobby before making his own way to the door. He orders Dobby to get back to the kitchen and to lie if she asks him if he warned him. 
he also forbids him to hurt himself before putting him down and closing the door behind him. Dobby thanks him and scurries away. Harry looks right and left and decides to run to the nearby boy's bathroom, but before he makes it too far, something catches him around the ankles and trips him. He skids several feet as someone laughs behind him and rolls onto his back to see Malfoy hiding in a niche between a dragon-shaped vase. He tells Harry he used the trip jinx on him and calls for Professor Umbridge, who bustles around the corner breathless but delighted. She rewards Draco with 50 points to Slytherin and instructs him to see if he can round up any others. She tells Harry to stand up and informs him that he will go with her to the headmaster's office. Within minutes, they reach the stone gargoyle, and Harry wonders how many of the others were caught. Worrying about Ron and how Mrs. Weasley will kill him, Hermione being expelled before she can take her OWLs, the fact that it was Seamus' first meeting, and that Neville was getting so good. Umbridge says fizzing Wisby to the gargoyle, which jumps aside, and they ascend the moving stone staircase. When they reach the door with the griffin knocker, Umbridge just walks right inside, still holding tight to Harry. Since the movie completely cuts out everything to do with Harry's interview in the Quibbler, the scene goes straight from Harry talking to Neville about his parents to the next DA meeting, where Harry is teaching the members how to produce a Patronus. He walks among the students, instructing them to choose a powerful, happy memory and allow it to fill them up. He tells Seamus to keep trying as he walks past and approaches George, telling him to take his turn. George waves his wand and says, Expecto Patronum! Harry continues to walk around explaining that a full-bodied Patronus is the most difficult to produce, but the shield forms are also useful against a variety of opponents. As he walks past Ginny, he sees her produce a full-bodied Patronus of a horse and tells her that it's fantastic, before continuing to remind the members that the Patronus will only protect them as long as they are focused. He acknowledges Luna and keeps walking around, checking in with Neville, as Hermione smiles as her silver otter Patronus floats around her. Harry reminds Neville to think of something happy, and Neville tells him that he is trying. Harry says he knows, then announces to the rest of the group that it is really advanced stuff and they are doing really well. As he is talking, Ron produces a terrier that runs under Neville and knocks him over. Luna produces a hare that hops around the air, causing people to duck and Harry to look on with pride. His joy is quickly diminished as something causes the crystal chandelier to rattle and the lights to flicker along with a pounding sound. Everyone stops, looking towards the source of the sound as it continues, and the mirror shatters, revealing a triangular-shaped hole in the wall. Nigel and Harry cautiously walk towards it, as everyone else continues to watch and worry. As Nigel peers through the hole, Umbridge's voice can be heard, saying that she will make short work of this. Harry pushes Nigel aside and sees her raising her wand toward them. He quickly pulls Nigel back as Umbridge casts Bombarda Maxima and the wall explodes into dust and debris, creating a larger opening where Umbridge is standing, flanked by Crab, Goyle, and Filch, with several other members of the Inquisitorial squad behind her. As they begin to advance on the Room of Requirement, Draco Malfoy joins them, pulling Cho Chang along with him by her robes. For a moment, the DA just faces off with the Inquisitorial squad, then Umbridge instructs her minions to get them. So that was fun. Yeah, there were a few minor changes in Hmm. details here Hmm. obviously they left out like the first half of this half of the chapter i mean a quarter of the chapter (laughs) (laughs) there was definitely you know some things left out for sure but what they did include was really accurate until the very end of it sure And, and then it was just like one pretty significant change one major yeah we'll get there oh yeah but the chapter started off just going over the aftermath of Trelawney being fired with a slight moment of Hermione being kind of douchey here. She really is. Because Parvati thinks that Hermione must wish she didn't give up divination now. And Hermione's response is to say she doesn't like horses. 
That is a dick thing to say. Yeah, that's not a horse, bitch. That is a centaur. That is a completely different animal, creature, they are not even magical, on, yeah, being. Not even on the same level. Not even on the same plane. It's like the way that they refer to centaurs in here as half-breeds and Hermione saying horse. It's like they think someone fucked a horse and you ended up with a centaur. Yeah, which if that was how it happened, my ex would have a lot more kids. You want to air that laundry out here, Katie? Whatever. Anyway, any nay. <laughs> oh dear. Oh horse. Oh, horse. <laughs> <laughs> well then, moving on. Let's... So yeah, when Lavender points out that that's not a horse, that's a centaur. Mm-hmm. Hermione just says, "Either way, he still has four legs." Like, is this the I... same girl? Yeah, that started up spew. Literally one book ago. Like, not this that is long shitty. ago. I don't like this. This is unnecessary. Honestly, it kind of upsets me because I don't like Lavender and Parvati very much, to be honest, because they're kind of <laughs> annoying. <laughs> yes. But, like, how are they the beacons of morality on this one? Yeah, I think this whole thing was unnecessary. I thought it was unnecessary. It was incredibly out of character. I did not like it. But that aside... Hermione must just be in a bitchy mood in general because she also challenges Lavender and Parvati saying that she thought they were upset that Trelawney was fired. They can think both things. Right. They can be (laughs) excited that this is a neat opportunity and still be sad. Yeah. You can have more than one feeling. And Hermione knows that. Exactly. So why is this so out of character? I'm not upset that the movie left this out. I'm upset that they left out all of the stuff that would have led to this, but this was unnecessary. Yeah, I'm really pretty glad this was not included. Yeah. But Lavender explains that they are upset. They even went to go see her and took her some daffodils. Nice ones, not the honking ones that Professor Sprout has. Which sure. I just love that image. Those would be annoying as fuck. Right? <laughs> Harry wants to know how she's doing and Lavender says that she's not doing very well because she just basically cried the whole time and said that she'd rather leave the castle forever than be there if Bitch Mall is still there. I can't blame her. Neither can (laughs) Lavender because, as she says, Pepto Bitch Mall was horrible to her. And like I said, I think Hermione's just feeling kind of bitchy, which this is totally warranted. But she says that she thinks Pepto Bitch Mall has just started being horrible. I mean, at least that's more on point for Hermione. Yeah, that one's understandable. Yeah. Then Ron goes and says the one thing that guarantees it will get worse by saying that's impossible. She can't get any worse. Damn it, Ron. Why would you do that? Mistake. Mistake. You need to don't do that guy, Ron. Yeah. But Hermione just explains that this bitch is absolutely going to want revenge on Dumbledore since he not only appointed a new teacher without consulting her, not that he had to, but she thinks Mm. he did. He appointed a part human, which again, as we talked about, I think that is an inaccurate statement. Yeah. Just because there is a humanoid aspect to a creature does not mean they are part human. Yeah. Different kind of being. Yeah. The way their brains are made up is entirely different. Like, yeah, humanoid. Sure. Not the same thing as part human. Anyway, breakfast ends. Hermione goes to arithmetic because she is not in divination. But Harry, Ron, Parvati, and Lavender head to classroom 11 on the ground floor, which makes Harry and Ron both be like, why aren't we going to the North Tower? And Parvati's just kind of like, because friends can't climb a ladder, duh. Right. Though I would kind of love to see a centaur trying to climb a ladder, but that's a completely different story, I think. I mean, it'd be amusing, but not for this. No, no. unnecessary. (laughs) Yeah. So classroom 11 is, like I said, right off the entrance hall and was previously unused. So therefore just kind of neglected with a bunch of random shit tossed in there. Mm -hmm. Which means when they walk in and find themselves in a forest clearing, they're like, what the fuck? (laughs) I love that so much, though. It's just so nice that he has his own space. And right? I just love it. Ferenz is standing in the middle of the clearing, greeting the class, sees Harry, and holds out his hand to shake and says Harry Potter because he knows who the he's he met is. him before. Yeah. Like, this is a person <laughs> they've interacted even. They go way back. Harry shakes his hand but is super fucking awkward about it and is just like, er, hi. Well, er, Harry gonna Harry. Good to see you. Yeah. And Ferenc is like, yeah, it is. It was foretold we would meet again. 
So it was. And the rest of the class <laughs> is just watching like, oh my God, Harry can talk to him. <laughs> They're on speaking He's terms. speaking English. He's so badass. Like... <laughs> Apparently, they're all a little intimidated by the centaur. Yeah. Wait till they find out he was 11 when he met him the first time. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, holy shit. But they all get settled, close the door, and Ferenc gets class started, letting them know that Dumbledore set up this forest classroom for them because he would have preferred to teach in the Forbidden Forest, but can't. Mm-hmm. And Parvati's all butthurt by this because she's like, we're brave enough. We've been there before. Hagrid's taken us. And it's not about them being brave or not. It's more about the fact that Ferenz was banished by his herd. Yeah, there are much bigger things at play here. <laughs> and I feel like Parvati and Lavender are both being a little bit annoying in this section, but they get their comeuppance for it, so it works out. Yeah, and at least they didn't call Ferenz a horse. No, although Dean kind of does because... Lavender's very confused by the term herd, and then it clicks that there are more centaurs in the forest, which is when Dean just goes, oh, did Hagrid breed you like the Thestrals? Oh, cringe. Cringe. Oh, very cringe. Cringe, Dean, cringe. Not as bad as Hermione's horse comment, because this was just ignorance. Yeah. Whereas Hermione was just being a bitch, I she think. She really was. And Dean sees the look on Ferenz's face and knows immediately that that was mistake. Yeah. <laughs> And he apologizes. And then Parvati distracts by asking why he was banished. Mm -hmm. So Ferenz explains that it's basically because he agreed to work for Dumbledore when centaurs see doing anything for humans as being their plaything or servant. And that's kind of a betrayal to them. Yeah. This makes Harry remember how Bane called him a common mule when he saved Harry by letting him ride on his back. Mm-hmm. And he also had noticed that there was a hoof-shaped bruise on Ferenc's chest and thought maybe Bane's the one who kicked him. Probably. I mean, wouldn't shock me. No, not at all. Especially the way he's, like, going after Ferenc, like, you know, calling Common him Dumbledore. Mule and, and yeah. Dumbledore's bitch and whatnot. And, yeah, I don't yeah. know if that one was actually said, but we could read between the lines and say it I was. Mean, sure. I'm going with it. All it, right, then. It's headcanon for me, so. But anyway, Ferenc starts class. And he kind of lowers the leafy canopy above them, which makes it go from daylight to twilight, which has got to be pretty fucking cool. How awesome would it have been to see this in the movie? This would have been amazing. Also, how awesome would this be to like just hang out in in real life? True. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. But anyway, he tells the class to lie on the floor and look up at the heavens where they can see the fortunes of their races. Very dramatic. I love it, though, man. It's kind of still Trelawney-esque, but in a different way of mysterious. Yeah. Trelawney was over the top. Trelawney's mystery was more of an act. Mm hmm Whereas the centaur, Ferenc specifically in this case, is, like, very vague about mm -hmm. the information that he gives, and that creates a more general mystery as opposed to being like, oh, You're going to die! Yeah. <laughs> you are in grave danger. Yeah. Yeah, it's none of that. It's, it's none of that at all. It's literally like, hey, let's check out the fucking stars because there's some shit going down. Yep. And, you know, some of it's chill and some of it's not. Let's talk about that. We'll see what we can figure out and then take decades to figure out what we figured out. Right. Basically. He's a little bit of a hippie in that way. Definitely. <laughs> Where he's just like, the stars will tell us when we need to know, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> I now want friends to be voiced by Matthew Lillard because he did Shaggy for Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> did you see Zootopia? Yes. They had the animal nudist colonist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, with the yak. The yak. He's yeah, totally yeah. the yak. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Where he's like telling them all the answers, but not acting like he told them the answers. And yeah, I dig that. That's him. Also headcanon accepted. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they all lie back in the grass and look up at the skies slash ceiling. Sure. And Harry specifically notices a red twinkling star. Then Ferenz begins to talk about how they've previously learned about the names of the planets and the moons in astronomy and that they've mapped the star's progress through the heavens. And he wants to 
share things about the centaurs unraveling these mysteries, but he's interrupted by Parvati, who, as I said, gets a little bit annoying during this part. What? <laughs> she does that thing that I, as a teacher, absolutely hate, where she raises her hand but then talks anyway. Like, I did not call on you, child. The hand raising was more of just a formality, you know. Yeah, well, it's really annoying when you have seven kids raise their hand and start talking before you can call on any of them. I imagine it would be. Just saying. Not the point. Anyway, she raises her hand but just talks about doing astrology with Professor Trelawney and mentions Mars causing accidents and burns and whatnot. And Ferenc just interrupts her right back because... In this situation, he's just me. <laughs> but he calls it all human nonsense and explains that trivial things like that, hurts and little accidents, are not even significant enough to be affected by planetary movements. Mm -hmm. So he's just basically like, yeah, Trelawney taught you a whole bunch of nonsense because she's a human and she's very limited by that. Which... He's saying this to all humans, so a good chunk of the class are now like, what the fuck, man? Like, <laughs> seriously? Dick move, guy. Right? But, I mean, sure, I guess. Ferenz is completely unaffected by this reaction and just keeps on teaching. Of course. He does say that Professor Trelawney may have seen, he doesn't know, but she's just completely wasting her time in fortune telling. <laughs> I love that he calls it fortune telling because that makes it sound so much less. I mean, half the shit. Legit. I mean, 98% of the shit she does. <laughs> yeah, but you can't discount that 2%. No, you can't. It's like milk. It's still good for you. I mean, it kept her a spot at Hogwarts, so. It did. Anyway, his lesson plan is to impart the wisdom of the centaurs upon them. Sure. And he calls it impersonal and impartial and explains that even when they do find something, it may take them years to understand what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. As an example, he points to that red star that Harry saw above him and tells them that basically the past decade has been giving indications that wizards are just sort of in the calm between two wars. So they had a war. Yep. Shit seems okay right now, unless, of course, you're, you know, Harry and Dumbledore and know the truth. Yeah, there's that. But they are coming upon a second war. I was like, it seems okay, but it's building. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out that red star is actually Mars. Mm -hmm. And he calls Mars the bringer of battle. Well, Mars was god of war. Makes sense. Yeah, so sure. And because it's shining so brightly at this point, it's a pretty clear indicator that... This war is going to be soon. They don't quite know how soon yet. They're still trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And they do that by burning herbs and leaves and other things. And then they look for shapes and clues in the fumes. And also, once people start showing up to fight, they'll have a pretty good idea that, hey, starting now. I think the whole goal is to figure it out before they show up. Theoretically, but, but you know what? You know, that's a good indication, yeah. Better exactly on time than never, I suppose. I don't know how you would hit <laughs> never, but yeah. <laughs> anyway. Smoke way too many of those herbs. <laughs> yeah. This leads them into basically the most unusual lesson that Harry has ever had, which is really saying something at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm where they just sat in the forest clearing and they burned sage and mallow sweet and they looked for shapes that nobody could see. <laughs> and Ferenc doesn't even seem the least bit concerned that nobody can see these shapes. He's just like, eh. Oh, Ferenc is not bothered No, at all. he's just like, you're human. Most humans can't see this. A lot of times centaurs can't even see it. And even if we do see it, we may interpret it wrong. So nothing's foolproof. Yeah. His basic lesson here is... That. Nothing's foolproof. You understand that, and you'll pass my class. Like, right? it's not about actually teaching them how to see the shapes or anything at all. No. It's just even if you can see them or can't see them, you can't really rely on them. Yeah. It just is what it is, man. Like, we do things, but we don't know why we do things. Exactly. And then we do other things, and those things might matter, and those things might not. But we still do them anyway. So, carry on. Exactly. 
all Ron can focus on is the fact that Ferenz isn't very definite on anything, mm-hmm. specifically because he wants some more details about this upcoming war. Ron, you have more details than nearly anybody else in the <laughs> wizarding world, so you chill out, man. You literally have a backstage pass, my guy. Right? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. This little deep dive that we're taking has made me see Ferenz in a totally different light. <laughs> I used to think of him as like mysterious and he was just very serious and uh, and now I just see him as a giant hippie. He's totally a giant hippie. <laughs> he and Dumbledore 100% share the gillyweed. Oh my god, they so do. I feel like they were high when he hired him. He was just like, "Man, man, man. Oh my god, I just Pepto had the best Bitch idea." Ball is totally going to fire my divination teacher. If you that happens, not if that happens, when that happens. <laughs> Can you give me a hoof here and just <laughs> step in and take on the role, man? It, not only would you be great at this, it would piss the fuck out of Pepto Pitchmall. <laughs> I think that's how that happens. Bro, bro, do me a solid, okay, man? Like, just hear me out. Hear me out. I know you're going to get in trouble, but, like, we'll set you up with a sweet pad. It'll be all good. Don't worry. It'll feel just like you're in the forest. Yeah. And what's so funny about that is it really does feel just like they're in the forest to the point that when the bell rings, everybody's startled because they forgot they were in the castle. (laughs) That's some excellent interior design right there. Yes. So then everybody starts to leave, but before Harry can follow them, Ferenz asks him to stay so he can have a word with him. And Ron just sort of hovers by the door like, do I have to go too? (laughs) And Ferenz says, you can stay too. Just close the door. So Mm. Ron hurries up and closes the door. And Ferenz first confirms that Harry and Hagrid are indeed friends because he wants Harry to pass a message along to Hagrid. More of a warning, really. Yeah. He says his attempt is not working and he would do better to abandon it. And Harry's like, his attempt is not working. His attempt at what? And Ferenz just says, and he would do better to abandon it. He says he'd give the warning himself, but doesn't think it'd be a good idea to get so close to the forest since he's banished at this point. That's pretty understandable. And like you said, Harry's just like his attempt to do what? (laughs) You want to expound on that a little bit, my guy? Nope. Nope. Just go tell him. Because he doesn't want to betray Hagrid's secret. He has a lot of respect for Hagrid because of how he treats all creatures. If there is anybody in this story who is not the least bit prejudiced, except for maybe against Slytherins, it's Hagrid. Yes. Which, again, as we've discussed, Slytherins are a caricature. Yeah. And they're meant to be hated. Yeah. Hagrid was also Gryffindor, so it was just instilled in him very early. Yeah. Not that I'm okay with that, but it is what it is. Moving on. Yeah. But anyway, Ferenz just tells Harry that Hagrid needs to be brought to his senses. The attempt is not working. Pass it along. Have a good day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Harry needed something else added to his plate. So cool. I'm pretty sure he was going to get bored. I don't know. <laughs> this year kind of sucks. <laughs> this year sucks a whole fucking lot, man. The little bit of happiness that he got from the Quibbler interview is now long since depleted. Oh, yeah. And basically, it's now coming into April, and Harry feels like his life is just one big series of worries and problems, which, let's face it, that is the series. Pretty much. So now it's just full force. Oh, gung-ho. Exactly. Because Pepto Bitchmall is still at every Care of Magical Creatures class, he can't even pass the message along to Hagrid like he wants to because he can't risk her overhearing it. He can't hang out after with her there and being suspicious. And yeah, it's so fucking frustrating for me to read this (laughs) and for Harry to deal with this. Yeah, because what are you going to do? She doesn't fucking go away. No, she doesn't. The only way he actually does manage to pass this message along is just flat out pretending like he forgot his book. And maybe he did. Maybe he did the whole leave behind. Oh, yeah. So they can be like, whoops, I forgot. Fantastic beasts of where to find them. Gotta go back. Oops-a-doodle. And then he goes back to get his book Mm -hmm. and passes the message along. Hagrid says that Friends is a nice bloke, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. The attempt is coming along fine. (laughs) What attempt? Exactly. (laughs) Harry's just like, what are you up to? 
but he doesn't even really wait for an answer. He just kind of goes into, dude, you can't do anything that's going to get you fired. Bro, you gotta, like, watch your back. Yeah. But Funkle Hagrid's not too concerned because he says there are things more important than keeping a job and just says, don't worry about me. Peace out, yo. Harry really has no choice but to just leave. And he feels very dispirited because just one more thing among many. Right, yet another. Especially since on top of that, they've got OWLs getting even closer. All of the fifth years are just completely stressing out. It doesn't help that all of the teachers and Hermione keep reminding them OWLs are coming closer. Hannah Abbott's the first one to really lose her shit and need to get a calming draft from Madame Pomfrey because she literally starts sobbing and claiming that she is too stupid to take any exams and wants to leave Hogwarts forever. That would just straight up be me. (laughs) (laughs) And it's basically only the DA lessons at this point that give Harry any kind of happiness. It's just the only time he feels he has any control. Yeah. He has zero control over the rest of his current life. Yeah. And then on top of that, all of the members are doing so well. He feels very proud of them. Mm -hmm. So it's like a weird happiness because it's like not really happy, happy, happy. No. But it's not a negative thing. And by extension, too, they're doing so well. He's so proud of them. That says what a good teacher he is. Yeah. And that's got to make him feel good. It's just a lot. Yeah. On the plus side, everybody's very excited because they are finally working on Patronuses, which they've been hoping that they could get to do. And their excitement just cannot be dampened by the fact that Harry keeps reminding them that Patronuses are really easy to conjure in a brightly lit classroom. You're going to feel completely different when you're being threatened by a Dementor. Yeah. It's a lot like his little speech that he gave about the DA where he's like, it's all well and good to talk about these things, but it's another thing when you're right there in the midst of everything. And yeah. However, close to nothing that you just talked about happened in the movie. What? I would say completely nothing, but the movie section does start with Harry teaching the DA how to produce a Patronus. So it's not completely nothing, but other than that, nothing you talked about. Nothing. Mostly nothing, yeah. Mostly, yes. Considering the book was like, well, a whole bunch of stuff happens with Rita Skeeter, and the movie just yeeted that whole section into the sun and said, fuck that noise. We just go directly from Harry and Neville's quasi-orphan heart-to-heart thing that they had in front of the mirror right into the next DA meeting where everyone gets to discover their spirit animals. Quite the sum up. Thank you. And... It is a bit of a ding Mm -hmm. for just that one thing. DA meeting with Patronuses. That's it. Yeah. That's all we got. In the book, after Harry reminds them, like, this is easy. It's not going to be when you're in a real situation. Cho's just like, don't be such a killjoy. They're so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because that's all that matters. Yeah. Harry's very patient with her and just reminds her that they're not supposed to be pretty. They're supposed to be protective. Mm-hmm. Cho is actually not present at this point in the movie, which is a definite change that we will talk about in just a little bit, really. Yeah. Also in the book, Harry expresses that he wishes he could get his hands on a bogart or something similar and tells them how when he learned to make the Patronus, he had to face off with a bogart that was pretending to be a Dementor. Mm-hmm. And Lavender is just like, oh, but that would be scary and I still can't do it. And she's only managing to produce like a little silver vapor and nothing else is really happening. Oh, laugh, laugh. It's a bit different in the movie. Just a little bit. Harry makes his rounds among his soldiers, telling them not to try to use like a little bitch of a memory. Like, make sure that shit is strong. Like, it needs to be the Dwayne the Rock Johnson of happy memories. That memory better be ready to fuck some shit up with its happiness. You know what I mean? It's like a memory on steroids. A memoroid, if you will. A memoroid. A memoroid. Mm. Episode title. <laughs> he tells Seamus to think about his first explosion, or the first time he realized his wand was essentially just like a giant matchstick, before encouraging George to go ahead and take his turn. And that didn't really happen in the book. This is just a good cinematic version. It's of... a filler. Yeah. Yeah. It works. And it's not vastly different it's just a pretty minor condensing of the whole thing that happened in the book chapter yeah george shoots his shot as harry moves past him and tells the rest of the army that it is hard as fuck to make a fully formed happiness animal 
But just keep trying, because the little wispy bitches, they can help you not die as well. Which is good. Yeah. Any little bit is going to help you somewhat. So, he comes up to Jenny, who just busts a nut out of the park with a full-body jizz horse. That's what it looks like, don't judge me. He pops a bit of an excitement boner before reminding the army that they need to keep their concentration or they're going to be shit out of luck since their Patronus relies on focus. Which is why I would be super fucked. Especially this episode. Oh, dude. <laughs> be like, focus on happiness. Focus. What's that? Oh, fuck. I would die very quickly. Harry then makes his way over to Luna, who seems to be concentrating on her wand. And then he keeps moving. He sees Neville struggling, but gives him an encouraging head nod like, you got this, bro, as Hermione busts out with an adorable ass otter. Otters. It's so cute. Harry tries to help Neville some more, and Neville swears he's trying, so Harry turns to the whole army and tells them that this shit is super advanced, and the fact that they're even getting itty-bitty wispies is a pretty badass turn of events, really. Yeah. And the part with Neville struggling is basically directly from the book. So ding! Yay, ding! Harry also reminds him to think of something happy. And it's Neville who's just like, I'm trying. He is trying. Yeah. Also, since Seamus got his head out of his ass, Dean brought him along to his first ever DA meeting. And he's also working on conjuring a Patronus. Which was our trivia question. Yep. So they included him in the movie scene too. Mm -hmm. It's accurate because he hadn't been part of him yet yeah and in the movie he had just apologized to harry yep. basically so so some dings there yeah he tells harry that he thinks he's doing it but then it vanishes before harry can see it and seamus says that it was definitely something harry 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 hair very harry harry hair right something like that we also have a technical ding since as you mentioned the movie had hermione producing an otter mm -hmm. and that's the same from the book Mm -hmm. And when she produces it in the book, she just says, well, they are sort of nice. <laughs> I feel like it's the girliest Hermione ever really gets. Yeah. The closest to something in common with Parvati and Lavender right there is they are kind of pretty. Or Cho, you know? Yeah. They are pretty. They're kind of cute. Yeah. Mm. The movie adds in a little bit of humor for this scene. And as Harry's talking, Ron shoots a puppy out of his wand, because of course he would. And it runs around tripping Neville and sending the poor boy ass over apple cart. <laughs> poor Neville. <laughs> poor Neville. Kind of unnecessary. Right. Meanwhile, Luna produces a cute little bunny that could totally fuck up some Dementor bitches. As Harry watches over everyone, the proud papa of the resistance. Yeah. The student resistance. To yes. be specific. Well, yes. Despite some very minor changes to this scene, like we said, the movie is pretty on par here. But then, in the book, all of the excitement of the lesson just comes to a screeching halt when the door to the Room of Requirement opens and closes. Harry doesn't even see anybody there. He just kind of looks around, is like, what the fuck, but notices the people near the door have fallen silent. So they saw something. Mm -hmm. They know something's up. Yeah. And it's not until Harry feels a tugging down on his robes near his knees that he actually looks down and sees Dobby wearing his stack of eight hats. Oh, Dobby. So now the jig is completely up and Hermione has got to know that Dobby's been the one taking all of the hats. But I think they're a little <laughs> too concerned for her to care at this point. Right. There's other things going on. Yeah. Because in addition to Dobby wearing eight hats, he is also wearing an extremely terror stricken face. Mm -hmm. And squeaks out that he's there to warn them, even though the house elves were told not to tell. And because he's breaking a direct order, he tries to run into the wall and Harry tries to grab him, but doesn't manage to. And it doesn't matter anyway, because the eight hats just kind of cushion him and he yeah. bounces right off. <laughs> Harry then does grab his arm to try and stop him from hurting himself. And all Dobby manages to say is Harry Potter, she, she, and then he starts beating himself with his free fist. So Harry grabs that one too. And he's just like holding the elf by both arms. And he's just like, she, she, Pepto bitch mall. Mm -hmm. And he can tell by the look on Dobby's face that that's exactly who she is. And Harry asks if she found out about the DA. And again, look on his face says yes. Mm -hmm. Then Harry wants to know if she's on her way. And Dobby basically falls to the ground he's trying so hard to injure himself he 
He starts kicking at the floor to hurt his feet, mm-hmm. the poor little elf. But in the process of hurting himself like this, he manages to screech out a yes. And Harry looks up from him at everybody who's just standing there like deer in headlight and just goes, what are you waiting for? Run! Yeah. It feels like one of those scenes in a sitcom where they're like, dead silence. Run! Yeah. And then it's like everybody going every direction trying to get out the door and you got this line because there's 25 kids trying to get out the door and sprinting up the corridors and Harry hopes that they're smart enough to just go to the library or a bathroom or the owlery or something instead of trying to make it all the way back to the dormitories. Yeah. Just, I've been here the whole time. Just Yeah, just stop somewhere, guys. Yeah. Hermione is like, Harry, come on, come on. So he scoops up Dobby and runs out the door himself and he gives Dobby his own orders. Get to the kitchens. If she asks, you did not tell me anything and I forbid you to hurt yourself. Aww. He sets down the little elf who thanks him and scurries off. I love that he thinks to say that, too. Yeah, he I know. thinks to be like, and you will not hurt yourself. Don't do it. Because, yeah. you know, giving Dobby an order works, but. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Harry. Don't do it. Tell Harry. Tell Harry. <laughs> it is both similar and different in the movie. Shocking, I know. Similar in that everything comes to an abrupt halt and there is a definite Pepto Bitch Mall threat. But different in that the cause is much more dramatic and severely lacking in Dobby. Which is the biggest crime ever, I think. It really is. And that is large change number two. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Instead of the warning, the lights do a flickery thing and shit kind of starts shaking. Like there's a boom. So either they are about to get caught or there's a big ass T-Rex getting ready to nom on some wizard folk. I would think the first one. Don't. Move. It can't see you if you don't move. <laughs> if only that worked for Pepto Bitch Mall. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm still not sure which option is worse, though the T Rex or Pepto Bitch Mall. It's... I would rather face a T Rex, I think. Yeah. Probably, yeah. At least a T Rex isn't going him, him. <laughs> but everyone looks around for the source of this racket, and they all watch as a mirror falls off the wall, and behind it, a triangular hole in the wall is revealed. Yep. Harry and Nigel go to take a closer look, because, sure, let's throw Nigel in harm's way. (laughs) Why not? That kid's got to be related to somebody. (laughs) He Uh, got inserted in so many random scenes. Just so We're just going to invent this child and put him in a bunch of different random scenes and have predominant moments when we don't include actual (laughs) characters that existed in the books. Who are you, In the scenes that existed. Bem? And we love Bem, but Bem was better than Nigel. (laughs) But the younger boy takes a look through the hole and sees a pack of assholes on the other side, the pinkest of whom has her wand raised, ready to fuck shit up, as she does. Mm -hmm. Harry takes a look and sees the cunt squad looking way too happy. He grabs Nigel and drags him out of the way just in time, because that is Harry. Very Indiana Jones with his timing. I love it. Then we see Pepto Bitch Mall saying a cheery Bombada Maxima before the wall is turned into the beginnings of Swiss cheese. Mm -hmm. Once the dust clears, we see that things just took a turn for the fucked as the whole cunt squad is revealed to be on the other side of the wall. As they begin to enter the room, Malfoy drags a reluctant Cho Chang out into view as if showing off a little human snitch trophy. Yay. (laughs) For a hot minute, it's just a stare down, but Bitch Mall quickly gestures towards the rule breakers and hisses for the cunts to get them. And this is also where we are cutting off the movie scene because it just jumps over all the details of who is actually caught and how. Yeah, so, so this is the easiest cutting off point. Mm-hmm. We do actually get some of those details in the book, mm-hmm. but I agree that the movie definitely makes this more dramatic than in the book. Yeah. I mean, Dobby's entrance and self-abuse was dramatic it would have been good enough but not the same thing as exploding a wall (laughs) yeah and in the movie they basically just got caught red-handed in the middle of an illegal meeting whereas Mm -hmm. the book they got a forewarning so it really seemed like most of them managed to get away yeah and we really only know for sure that harry got caught yeah exactly because he stopped to take that extra time to make sure Dobby was clear too. Mm-hmm. 
But after that, he looks right and left, thinks I'm just going to run to the nearby boys' bathroom and starts heading in that direction before something catches him around the ankle and sends him flying. And he hits the ground and just skids about six feet while somebody laughs. He flips over on his back and looks to see none other than Nazi von Douchebag II hiding beneath a dragon-shaped vase and just kind of laughing and letting him know that he used the trip jinx on him. The dragon-shaped face seems a little on the nose, doesn't right? it? <laughs> Accurate. Mm-hmm. Nazi von Douchebag, the second, comes out in the open and calls for Professor Umbridge, who bustles around the corner, and she's very breathless, mm-hmm. but also clearly delighted. She is just absolutely thrilled that Nazi von Douchebag, the second, has managed to catch the ringleader. Oh, she's fucking Twitter-pated right now. Yeah, and she gives von Douchebag, the second, 50 points for Slytherin for this. Tells Harry to get up, tells Draco to go. See if he can gather up any more. Tell the others, check the bathrooms. Have Pansy Parkinson check the girls' bathroom. Mm -hmm. And then lets Harry know, you're coming to the headmaster's office with me. She basically drags him there. Mm -hmm. And it's only mere minutes before they get there. Like, I feel like she's probably practically running with excitement to get to the office. She's doing like the, I got a pee walk. Yeah. (laughs) Harry the whole time is just really worrying about everybody else who got caught Specifically worrying about Ron and Mrs. Weasley wanting to kill him if he gets caught or Hermione getting expelled before she has the chance to take her OWLs. And, you know, this was Seamus's first meeting. He shows up and it's this shit show and Neville was getting so good. And is he going to be able to keep improving if they have to end it or is he going to get in trouble? Is this all going to take away? Like, it's just shit show. Fiasco. Yeah, nothing good is happening right now. Pepto Bitch Mall says fizzing Wisby to the gargoyle, which jumps aside and then, you know, hustles him up that moving stone staircase. Sure. At the door with the griffin knocker. She mm-hmm. doesn't even stop to knock. She literally just walks right in, dragging Harry behind her. Oh, yeah. Just make yourself at home, honey. Sure. Yeah. And this is where we are cutting off the book chapter because it will line up best with the movie. It will. Despite having a movie scene, we didn't have any new actors, so... That leaves us with very little to talk about there, so let's just move on right to our Potter pondering, which is, how do you feel about the movie leaving Dobby out so that Harry and the DA members do not get a warning before Umbridge and the Inquisitorial Squad show up? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts, or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your responses a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Maggie Fisher. She writes, My name is Maggie, and I'm a Hufflepuff. I don't know if you are aware, but we are particularly good finders. (laughs) My wand is Rowan Wood with a Phoenix Feather Core, 11 and 3 quarter inches, and slightly yielding flexibility. My Patronus is a St. Bernard. I have been involved in the Potter fandom for my entire life. I was born in 1999, and as a daughter of a book nerd and elementary school teacher, I cannot remember a time when I didn't love Harry Potter. My mom read the first two books to all of us as young children, but neither of my siblings got as crazy about Potter as me. One of my earliest memories is when I was three or four and my mom, sister, and I were cuddled up reading Sorcerer's Stone. I was fortunate enough to grow up with the movies, and when I was in the fourth grade, my mom finally let me read Potter for myself. I started with the fourth book and got through the series by the end of fourth grade. One day at school during silent reading, I was at the end of Deathly Hallows. When Harry killed Voldemort, I stood up and shouted, Yes! And all 35 heads turned in my direction as I slumped down to my seat. My love of Potter has continued in my college life, and I have been an avid listener to Swish and Flick for the past two years. It's very hard to find time to read for pleasure during college, and I like to listen to podcasts on my way to class or at work. When Tiffany from Swish highlighted your podcast in her Insta Live, I knew I had to expand my Potter podcast world and start listening. You guys are doing a fantastic job, and I can't wait for new episodes. Aww. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Maggie. Yes, thank you. 
And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, who gave testimony that Potter had met a number of fellow students in the Hogshead back in October? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag evidence will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated, even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon, because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that, too. Period. End of sentence. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 27, The Centaur and the Sneak, and the fairly accurate corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calm and Harry on! Oh, for fuck's sake.